Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. We probably all know by now that the flight from Rwanda was cancelled at the last minute last night, wasn't it? Why? Well, because of an intervention by the European Court of Human Rights. But earlier this week, Britain's Supreme Court had decided that the flight could go ahead. (laughs) Are you confused? I don't think this is the end of it, I've got to say, because the government say that they are going to fight on. So let's have a look, shall we? But before we get into some of this, uh, should we just start by explaining what the European Court of Human Rights is? I'll tell you what it isn't, uh, by the way, because it's not anything to do with the EU. Lots of people are saying we voted Brexit, so we should be out. The two are not uh, connected, but let's start from the beginning, shall we? If we go back to the end of the Second World War, the UK was one of the founding members of the Council of Europe in 1949. It was set up to promote democracy, protect human rights and the law in Europe. The Council of Europe then set up the European Court of Human Rights in 1950. Again, the UK was a founding member. The court was set up to implement the European Convention on Human Rights, which the UK was the first country to sign in 1951. Judgments from the European Court of Human Rights are binding on the members of the Council of Europe, and so, therefore, the UK. You got it? Good. I'll test you on it later. Right, my question is, do you think the UK should leave the Council of Europe? I have to say, lots of people quite angry about this, saying absolutely we shouldn't be beholden to this court. Uh, what would be the consequences of leaving? Is it a good idea uh, at all? Peter Hitchens, I'll start with you. Where do you sit on this? Well, I don't, I'm not absolutely convinced it's true that the decisions are binding on us. I mean, for instance, they found against us on prisoners voting, and I don't think that's been resolved yet. And I think several uh, member nations of the, of the Council of Europe, including Germany, uh, say that their constitution trumps the European Convention on Human Rights, and if they disagree, then they don't have to do what they say. And it certainly doesn't have much in the way of power to make us do anything. I suspect, I have to say, the government was quite relieved uh, to get this so-called injunction from the European Court of Human Rights last night, uh, so they then wouldn't have to fly two people all the way to Africa in a gigantic, expensive plane. I, I'm not at all sure that they were that disappointed by it. Really? Really. So I think it's lovely for them to be able to say, look look at this terrible Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, all these foreigners telling us what to do, and then they can, they, they can, they can have a great uh, palaver about the European Court of Human Rights and how terrible it is. They won't do anything about it. And Tory politicians have been talking about getting rid of the Human Rights Act and getting us out from under the European Court of Human Rights for about 200 years now, uh, usually towards the beginning of the Parliament, but nothing ever happened. So I, I would be surprised. The real decision in all this will be taken by a British court in July uh, when it goes for judicial review. And that's the, that's the decision the government's really worried about. Jacqueline, your thoughts? Well, I agree with Peter on lots of things, but on the point that... Um were we, the Conservatives, or the, um, obviously, Priti Patel and others, uh, relieved that the flight didn't go? I think that couldn't be further from the truth. I think it's a great shame that it didn't, uh, when you have had the highest courts in the land, uh, in the United Kingdom, the High Court, Court of Appeal, Supreme Court, and they've upheld the decision. It was not an illegal uh, decision to send uh, these people to Rwanda, which is a safe country. Um, Then, obviously, obviously, everything's been thrown at it. Um, to prevent that happening. I think where I do agree with Peter 
um, this isn't the end of the line because the decision, I mean, what was fascinating is we always know the names of our judges in, in all of our courts. We can find out who the judges are that make these decisions. And the out-of-hours judge uh, who was on duty at the ECHR yesterday um, has not been identified. So they appear to be anonymous, whoever they are. Um, but just getting back to that other point, um, they tr I think they sort of tried to say that um, one, of the, one of the prisoners had... Uh, his solicitor had said they'd got evidence now that he'd been tortured, which would seem to have been Most very have been late. Tortured, I think, was... and, um, and of course, he hadn't been tortured in Rwanda, um, possibly from where he'd come from in the first place. We don't know anything about that. But um, this isn't the end because this is just a decision to postpone this at present. And government, quite rightly, I've been in the debates today in both the House of Commons, in the gallery, in the House of Lords, and the government are absolutely determined, and I fully support that position, um, to go ahead with this, um, with this process. Marianne, where do you stand on this? OK, number one, this must not be a party political issue. We cannot afford, we the people, cannot afford for this to become a tennis ball that's bounced back and forth over the House of Commons for someone to score a few political points, kind of throw a bit of culture wars at it. You go, oh, they would say that, those lefty liberals. We must not do that because it's too important, this is. It's too important. The basis that any immigration policy must be constructed on is whether it's legal whether it's effective and workable and whether it is value for money for us, the taxpayers. And the bottom line is the way whatever happens, whatever your position in terms of whether we ought to, on a moral basis, be exporting asylum seekers to be processed in a third country. What, <clears throat> put that to one side for a minute. The way the government has acted over the past 24, 48 hours has not been effective, workable, or definitely not value for money. Within our own courts, so the courts in our land, the High Court has determined that there does need to be a judicial review to determine whether this is actually a legal policy. And the government have said very clearly, well, hang on a minute, guys, if it turns out to not be legal, so it is entirely possible that judges in the UK, in a UK court, will go, actually, this is not legal. We, you cannot do this. I need to come in in a minute. Then right. they will send people back from Rwanda. They'll reverse those decisions, including this kind of this, this stand-up case um, this, of this Iraqi guy who may or may not have been tortured. He's known as KN in the legal papers. So, and all the other people. They initially thought, planned, the government planned to put 130 people on that Boeing jet to send it to Rwanda last night. Then they were down to seven, then they were down to six, then they were down to one, and then it was down to zero. At what point did they go, hang on a minute, guys, we're spending half a million pounds, half a million pounds to make this point. This shouldn't be about posturing. This shouldn't be about some kind of gung-ho, we're going to do it regardless. It has to be about value for money. If the High Court are going to say in three weeks' in. time it's not legal, said why don't we just wait? You've said value for money a couple of times. This is, more, this is bigger than value for money. It First needs of to all, be the part reason, of the... The reason, the reason it is a political football is because we have a, a government that came into power with an 80-seat majority. The majority of people in this country who voted 
We gave a manifesto, we put that out. We turned around and we said, people are very concerned about the illegal migration into this country and particularly the issues with the channel, people coming on lorries who are being suffocated, etc. And we have tried our best to get sort of political, I would say, others from political parties to come on board. Every time Priti Patel has tried anything, they never agree. I have no idea, to be fair, what the policies are to how we deal with this issue from any other opposition party. I have no idea at all. And in terms of value, we are currently on illegal immigrants. We're not talking about people from Syria and we're not talking about people from Ukraine or people from Hong Kong. We're talking about 75% of people who are coming into this country are young men between the ages of 18 and 34. We are spending five million pounds a day on hotels. And at the end of that, we have no idea what some of them, they walk out of the hotel as well. We don't know what to do. So we But you are to misunderstand the idea. If I may say, we we have to, I didn't interrupt you particularly, but we have to find a solution. We have found a solution whereby Rwanda is a safe country. Denmark has sent asylum seekers and various refugees there, and so has the United Nations. So for the opposition to turn around now and start basically saying Rwanda's this third world terrible country and the, and the poor people that go there are going to be treated appallingly, that is not the case. OK, t- well, lots of things. I, I, no, I, I, yeah, hang on, because I think Peter wanted to come in for a bit. OK, so. yeah, yeah. I, the point that I made, and I continue to make it, is that the Conservative Party has for a very long time posed as a party which proposes to get immigration under control. David Cameron, when he was Prime Minister, repeatedly made completely empty promises about getting immigration down. Uh, Theresa May, you may remember, sent vans around North London th- issuing empty threats to whoever happened to be passing that they would be found and deported, which, of course, they weren't. Uh, this is all done because the Conservative Party knows that, uh, that illegal immigration is unpopular and that it shores up its vote to look as it's being tough about it. This policy may or may not work. My doubts about it have always been, since it was announced, that it would probably be tripped up by the legal system and that it might not work anyway. If it's not, its purpose is not to send people to Rwanda, if they could actually achieve its aim by not sending anybody there at all, that would be great because it, the, the purpose of it is to deter people coming across the channel. Uh, and that is, that is the only reason for doing it, is to let them know there's no point in coming across the channel. But if that's not true, it won't work. But you have to say... Uh, that, as a, that, that, that as a party supposedly dedicated to getting immigration under control, the Conservative Party has been a bit of a flop, and this could be part of that. We were discussing the whole issue of human rights and whether we should be part of this court. Uh, I think myself that human rights are, I, Jeremy Bentham described rights themselves as, as nonsense on, on stilts, and I, I personally believe that the, the whole concept of human rights has messed up our legal and political system for years because it gives judges who are responsible to nobody and who are increasing numbers of people of the liberal left, uh, enormous power to decide uh, to decide policy and to overrule elected governments, which is bad for uh, is bad, bad for our society. Lord Sumption, the former president of the Supreme Court, devoted his reef lectures to making this point. And I, I think that we really do need to look very seriously at whether we, we can continue to allow judges to have such a role. But... Uh, the, to, to either claim that the Conservatives are a, are a, are a body of racist, imperialist fascists uh, hurling people into the third world, or to claim that the Conservatives 
are doing a great job controlling immigration. Both of these, which is, is the basic currency of political debate in this country, country at the moment, both of these claims are completely untrue. Mary? Well, I'd agree with that. I think if we polarise the debate to, to levels of nonsense, then we, we miss the conversation entirely. And the fact that there's kind of one policy on the table, which I agree with you, Jacqueline, I don't think the opposition is offering a, a kind of a workable alternative. But that doesn't mean that the only policy on the table, that, that which um, Liz Truss and Priti Patel are promoting, if it's so rubbish, it's not going to work, it might not be legal, it's incredibly expensive, it might all go you know, bottoms up very quickly. And if it doesn't act as a deterrent, then it's a rubbish policy. Let's stop pursuing it. Or just wait and let's see if it actually is legal, then enact it. If it does work... In judge legal. If it does work and, and, the, and, and it does deter people from coming across the channel and putting themselves in the hands of these people's smugglers. But it's not doing that gangsters. Peter, no, because they've we, been we, doing... No, we've got hundreds of people in small boats. This isn't the point of the decision. The, the main point of legal decision is next month when the judicial review is considered. That's when we'll discover whether the judges are really going to try to block the government. If they don't, and the policy is then implemented, we will then find out if it works. I'm perfectly prepared to judge it on its merits on that basis, and I think everybody should be, honestly. The, 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 the way in which the people smugglers are now uh, getting people across the channel is absolutely shocking and disgraceful and ought to be brought to an end. Well, I so I'm not that, absolutely ruling out the possibility fine. it will succeed. I just have serious doubts about it. Two seconds, Marianne. Let me just bring Jack in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, where I agree with Peter, I don't clearly agree with him on a number of things, but where I do agree with him, there have been very questionable decisions by the European Court over the years. Um, and as you say, they've made decisions and then they've never been carried through. And um, you've then got to look at really where the jurisdiction is. I don't think anybody... We, I mean, we were signatories because of what happened in World War II, mm, setting this up. This was about setting up an organisation and a judiciary where we could try people for war crimes and the Holocaust and for very, very good reasons. But we also have to take into account where we are all these, year, these years on and what the situation is now, what we're trying to do now. Deterrent is the correct word. Of course we're trying to... Uh, get a deterrent to stop people coming over. I mean, what is the alternative? We've had people suffocating in lorries. We get people who are drowned. I mean, they reckon there's about 450 people came over today. Um, now they've moved on from small dinghies. I think the size of some of these boats coming across... I mean, we're nearly on the QE2, frankly. <laughs> uh, you know, if it wasn't so... Uh, so serious, you'd wonder what was going on next. And then the French have, uh, frankly, done virtually nothing to prevent this. And France is not a war zone. France is a safe country. And it doesn't matter. Those, Under international people, law, you can claim if asylum If any of anywhere. those people wish to claim asylum, they could have done it in any country that they passed through before they got to the coast of France. And that is not the case, unfortunately. And as we said, this goes on and on. We're now having to build facilities in the countryside, which are really housing, I mean, many, many young men. This is happening in villages. This is not how you can deal with it. We can't keep doing this. Why are you demonising young men? They also get tortured and well, murdered and have young... to escape. We're not They're the people who are policemen. Men. They're the people have who are interpreters in Afghanistan. They're the people who are embedded with our own military. If I may just finish, if you look at Ukraine... We are looking after women and children and probably maybe very elderly people who come from Ukraine. We did the same thing with Syria. These were families. We are in a situation where predominantly the vast number of people coming across the channel and in other ways 
are young, fit men. I'd like to see them back in their rich countries of origin, actually, fighting for good democracy so they didn't have to leave, frankly. But clearly, you know, we can't all have what we wish for. We're almost out of time on this one. I'm very conscious uh, of the time. Marianne, just final word. Please be brief. Yes, um, OK. Um, I think that it's a t um, we should be incredibly proud that we're a member of a Council of Europe. We should be incredibly proud that we were the first signatories of that European Convention on Human Rights. The reason it was set up is exactly what you said. Um, it was about trying the Holocaust. It was, it was about addressing a never again attitude to what happened in those atrocities in the World War II. And that was because governments were doing terrible, terrible things to their own citizens. That's why we have these institutions that sit above the nation state. And we should be proud because it was a moment when the UK, when Great Britain was genuinely great, was genuinely a world leader in these issues. And for us to lose sight of that is a terrible shame. Well, what, well, we we've, what, we've thought, what, what we thought, what we thought... Right, very, very said, briefly, yeah, What we thought brief. when we set up this convention was that it would get other countries in Europe to behave as well as we already behave. Right. Never that these rules would be used against us. In well, I think it's because we're not behaving very well at the I moment. Don't well, we think are behaving true, quite actually. well, thank I you very much. If we were as bad as we, we, we were thought to be, there would be terrible things which we, we could be... If we were that bad, nobody would want not. to come here at all, quite frankly, well, whether it was that. legal or illegal. Beggar, amen to, to that. If we are indeed an awful nation, why is everyone, apparently, or not everyone, but a huge number of people seemingly so desperate to come here? I was asking at the start of this conversation, by the way, do you think that the UK uh, should leave the European um, Court of Human Rights? I'll summarise. Pretty much all of you say, in capitals, yes. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co with me, Michelle Jubery, keeping me company until seven o'clock tonight. My panel, we've got the former MEP Jacqueline Foster, columnist at the Mail on Sunday, Peter Hitchens, and anthropologist Marianne O'Hotter. I was just asking my panel in the break, by the way, something that um, always kind of confuses me is we've got this situation and I've never quite understood why are we not able to declare an emergency in this country and look at creating emergency laws that would supersede essentially business as usual laws. Uh, Marianne was just saying she doesn't think it is an emergency in this country. Do you? Get in touch and let me know your thoughts. But for now, we shall park that topic. Lots of you guys getting in contact. Again, a question that comes through thick and fast is it's all well and good, everyone's saying that, you know, this Rwanda policy is this, that and the other, but nobody really seems to have the answers as to what you do then. If you don't do this, what do you do? And that, my friends, seems to be the million-dollar question. Right, let's move on, shall we? There's been the biggest increase in childhood obesity since records began more than a decade ago. And obesity levels have driven up the number of kids with type 2 diabetes by 50% in the last six years. Now, the reason that this is a concern, by the way, because we talk, don't we, about obesity generally often. But, you know, when it comes to diabetes, this is not kind of a flippant, simple thing. This can have quite serious ramifications. Just a quick uh, look at what some of these complications of this kind of disease could be. Uh, for example, it can cause eye problems that lead to blindness. It can also lead to kidney problems. And it can cause heart attacks and strokes as well. Now, Jacqueline, I'm going to come to you first because yeah. I've seen it very loudly today, but we see it often. Whenever we talk about things like childhood obesity, over a quarter of primary school children, by the way, will leave primary school obese. One in seven will start that way. And... You know, five-year-olds are not responsible for their own food purchasing. It is the parents. 
The calls that I hear louder and louder and louder is it's the government, it's your government that is letting people down. Is it? No, I don't think it is at all. Um, I think, you know, I come from a generation where, although my mother worked and a lot of women post-war did work, um, first of all, there was no junk food around. There was very little junk food around. And even people on low incomes, uh, we were normal, a normal working family. Um, but the responsibility was that the mother um, made some food and we obviously tried to get uh, decent, uh, obviously decent food. Uh, it's where school dinners came in. We talked about that recently. And there was a good reason why they brought hot meal in at least every day for children. And, you know, we come all, all of these years on and we are one of the wealthiest countries, yet we have one of the highest levels of uh, child obesity and obesity general, if you're looking at Europe. And uh, a lot of it is because um, the amount of junk food around. And you can't just say because somebody is on a low income that the child is not going to be fed properly because that's completely wrong. That means that everybody's on a low income doesn't feed the child properly, and that's not true at all. So um, I think there's, um, there's a lot to be done, but it's got to be down to the parents, I think, at the end of the day, to determine what their children are going to eat. See, Marianne, I've got quite a harsh uh, view on this, and many people will be critical of my opinion, but I think um, I've got a child. Uh, I know you have too. I've got a very young child. If I was to uh, make my child kind of quite malnutritioned, if he was there sitting skin and burns, pale, all the rest of it, people would be saying, I'm abusing my child. I would run the risk, possibly, probably, of having him taken away from me because I'm failing in my parenting. It would be akin to abuse. And I actually apply this to the other end of the scale. I think if you are a parent who has a young child who is obese to the point where you have now, your child has got type two diabetes. I've just read out some of the examples there, the lasting serious health damage that you are doing to your child by enabling that situation. I actually feel it's akin to child abuse. Do you agree with me or not? Um, I, I, think, I think the condemnation doesn't necessarily help with the solution. So yes, it is a parent's responsibility to help that child grow up healthy, to know what healthy eating and healthy lifestyle looks like. But you wouldn't necessarily chuck the parent in jail. You're not going to find them. You're going to help them do it better, right? You're going to start by helping them. And if those parents consistently don't engage with that help, yeah. they consistently allow their child... Because a five-year-old does not go to a shop. It does not go... It does not have its own money to spend. It's the, you're doing this as your parent. Right. So if you don't engage with that help, then actually I do think that child protection services should start to be getting involved. Well, I mean, they're massively underfunded as well. So put, put them on, on the list behind all the children who are being tortured or murdered by their parents or sexually abused. Yeah, fine, get to them eventually, but they won't get got to. The, the statistics that we're looking at here is that 40% of the children who are obese currently are from the most deprived wards in the UK. So you look at obesity and the, the distribution of, of kids who are facing obesity, mm -hmm. and you look at the distribution of poverty, and they absolutely match hand in glove. And so what you're saying, what, what, what we need, the conversation that we need to be having is, why is that? Now, you're right, I've got two kids. My little one, he's four, he, he runs around, he goes to a lovely nursery where they've got lots of resources for them to play outside. He's got wellies and a raincoat, so if the weather's outside rubbish, we can still go outside. We live near somewhere where there's a nice park. 
that isn't full of broken glass and needles. It's got a zip line and a climbing frame. On a Saturday, he goes swimming. On a Sunday, he goes to gymnastics. And uh, me and my husband are very fortunate that we have enough time. We have busy jobs, but we also have enough time. I'm not working an extra job so that I can take him for a walk. We can go to the park. We can go on a play date with his little pals. And those things all make the difference. Now, I didn't grow up rich. There was a time when I was on free school meals. But my mum had the benefit of knowing how to cook from scratch. And so she taught that to us. I didn't learn it at school. But now I could, if I needed to, make a dinner out of sort of fresh home cooked produce of, of some like a cheap cut of meat or some veggies, uh, some, some uh, potatoes or what have you. I don't necessarily need to go. I actually don't know one end to the other there's of a no, spud. There's no excuse for not knowing one end from the other of a spud. There's some well, you say that, but if you grew up in, in a situation of deprivation and a neglect, if you grew up in a, an environment where there is no safe outdoor space for you to play in, how is it that you can have an active lifestyle? If you live somewhere where none of the streets are safe because they're absolutely rammed with traffic or they're not safe but fit for a child to, to kind of go along, how is it that they're going to be able to walk or cycle or go on their Marianne, scooter to school? I, in fact, actually, about, let me bring Peter It's about deprived, because... not active communities, and that's where the government um, investment needs no, to be. That's of, where it's not most fair. Of the children, if I just may say, yeah, post let, World I want War II as well. Post World War, we came from blue-collar backgrounds. Children were were born in in housing areas that had been bombed, all sorts of things. <laughs> you can't use keep saying this, somebody's in a deprived area or on a very low income, that this is the reason why this child is obese. Because well, the it person is, has I mean, got stats show that. Either the person has got the responsibility, as I said, just because somebody is on a low income or they may be on benefits, many people who are in that situation feed their children well. No, I agree they with feed that. feed children properly. And you right. can't keep Let's just bring Peter in. But we're looking at a public health... Right. We're looking at the right. whole ladies, of the public, ladies, not just individuals. Ladies, ladies, there is a young man here who wants his say as well. Go <laughs> on, Peter. <laughs> point. What these children are missing are families. They're missing families who sit down three times a day around a table to have formal meals. Uh, that's all gone. The government and commerce have encouraged the dismantling of what used to be family life. There's no adults at home. Uh, or if there is, there's no adult at home who's in charge. Uh, and the, uh, as a result, the whole rhythm and, 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 uh, and nature of family life as you knew it and as, uh, and as I knew it has disappeared for most people. This is, it coincides with physical poverty because it's worst in the areas where people are, are worst off. But it's, it's actually mainly about the fact that we have decided that we, we don't want to have families anymore. And if you don't have families, you don't have mealtimes, you have a constant grazing on incredibly available and sugar-crammed fast food, which makes people fat. Who and it's nothing to do with exercise. Look at me. I'm 14 and a half stone. I take huge amounts of exercise. It makes no difference to how fat I am. Oh, that's it's nonsense. It's Come on. Of course do. it's about it's food and activity no, levels. Entire, exercise makes you fit. It doesn't stop you being fat. Here am I, the, oh, the physical embodiment of the proof of that. It is absolutely to do with what they eat. And the, the fast food diets are crammed yeah. with sugar. And this is what we did not get when we were great. growing up. We were fed more than adequately, but it wasn't with sugar. It was with, with home-cooked, often not very interesting food, lots of offal and other exciting things, lots of vegetables, fair amount of potatoes, but no 
sugar to speak of, and we didn't get fat. And, and we ate three times a day round a table in a family. We did not eat between meals. It didn't happen. It's a complete social revolution. And the abolition of, of, the, of the family, what I would insist was the, the married family, the permanent family, is at the heart of it, as it, as is it also at the heart of so many of the other problems, which nobody will do anything about, because we won't admit we made a stupid mistake by breaking up the family. But I am a little bit intrigued when you keep saying, like, we broke up the family. Who, who did? Well, first of all, the governments uh, which made uh, divorce incredibly easy in the 1960s. And secondly, the, 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 um, the, the, the wave of feminists who said the only thing, the only respectable thing that a woman can do is to go out to work. Uh, you can't, there's it's shameful to be at home raising your own children. It's, it's a demeaning, miserable, uh, reactionary form of activity. Go out to work. And they lowered the status and meaning and importance of one of the most important jobs that anybody can do. Men can bring up children as well. I'm not saying they can't, but women did do it, and now nobody does it because men don't particularly want to. But a lot of people in the days that you refer to will have stayed married, so the children would have had a a family unit, but it would have been often an unhappy family unit because I'm not discussing happiness here. I can't legislate for happiness, but there wouldn't have been so many fat people in it. Well, you would legislate for a set of circumstances where you are condemning people to unhappiness and you're saying, oh, well, men, of course, Uh, can can raise children and and run a household, but they don't really want to. Well, why is that? That's a a question for the ages, but I'm not arguing about it. What I'm saying is we we deliberately dismantled circumstances in which children were more happily and better brought up than they are now. One of the biggest symptoms of this... Is, a, is, is, is horrifying obesity among children, which, if it, if it isn't child abuse, is certainly deeply distressing to everybody who sees it. It is one of the consequences of it, and we don't tackle it because the, the whole issue of what we did with the married family in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s cannot be raised because it is sacred to the political elite of this country the, the that we point, cannot <coughs> discuss it. I know that because I keep trying to raise yeah, it. The, never the, really the, shuts the point me that you raised that bears <laughs> out. If you look at most of these horrendous cases of child abuse, child murder, child torture, most of the time you are going to find a fractured family Mm. or non-family that is... That's not to say that everybody has to be married and that every single married couple will make a very happy family for the children. I'm not saying that. But where, Peter, I absolutely agree, is the family is the most important. Now, I've worked all my life and I don't have children. That is a decision I may have made for for a variety of reasons. Um, But I still think that a mother bringing up the children and you work it in with work, and I was behind when I was in the airline industry um, trying to organise flexible rosters and flexible working. So there are different ways that you can work because women, we need women in the the workplace Mm. of anything else. Um, So I do think that there are ways that we can make sure that mothers are around as much as possible um, and you're quite right, it comes back to uh, the children at the end of the day. It is the responsibility of the parents. And then hopefully between the, 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 the parents, they can sort out how the child is fed when it's going to school or nursery or whatever. And um, so I think that's uh, where we need to be. But we can't keep sort of, you know, it, it, it's always the government's fault. It's always everybody's fault. We need to actually get back to um, that responsibility and how do we best deal with this in, in, in a sensible fashion. I think the bottom line is just create the conditions for success. Have 
good quality green area spaces, play areas, have play schemes, have holiday support, have affordable schemes where people can learn cooking. With a, with a concrete playground, yeah. they're going to have to probably go to a park somewhere. Let's be so let's them. have a park. They've got, they've got more parks in London as a capital than any other, other city in the world. It's not just no, no, I don't that. mean Hyde Park. I mean a no, play area where small... a kid can go and play safely that are well looked after. To... That is not, it's not just about that. It is a combination of things. I mean, I always did sports at school. I still do sports now. I like sports. Many schools can't afford an... that additional well, cost of well, sports. Well, the taxpayer is or the funding the education system. There is selling no off... reason why the school, state school system cannot provide some sports for their children. A lot of schools sell off their playing fields. They sell off their playing fields to buy textbooks. It's it's terrible they sell off their playing fields. I'm against it. But if all this stuff was was important, then we we wouldn't have had uh, thin, healthy children. 50 years ago, and we did when we were a lot poorer. And people lived in, exactly. in many cases in worse conditions. The it's not about that. these things. It's about it's about diet. It's about the way people live and eat. It's also, I have to say, about the commercial uh, pressure on on families from the, the the cheap fast food producers and the stuff they put in the Absolutely. food. Absolutely. So it's let's tax sugar. fat and uh, sugar. Let's... Fat doesn't make you fat. Honestly. Sugar does. <laughs> Simon says, uh, Simon's been in touch saying three cheers for Peter. Lots of people agreeing with what you're saying, Peter, in terms of the family unit and that being an essential uh, ingredient, if we want to say it like that, for when it comes to child health. Do you agree with that? Uh, Many people, John, actually, John, you're a bit extreme. You've got in touch saying your answer is to bring back rations. He said that'd sort out the problem. Uh, Be careful what you wish for, John, the way that this country's (laughs) going. That's what I said to that. (laughs) What would be in them? That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, Lots of people, again, saying about um, poverty, etc. Just because you're poor, does that mean that you shouldn't be able to know how to cook, etc.? I would absolutely say no. I don't think anyone, actually in this day and age has got an excuse to say, I don't know how to cook food. I'm going to be harsh. I think that's just laziness because you've got free information readily available uh, to teach you how to cook wholesome, cheap, easy often meals. Uh, Some people here saying celebrities have a part to play. Um, They should be saying better things about weight. I'm not sure about that, but I guess some people are uh, heavily influenced Paddy says the problem is that kids are fat because their parents are fat. It's very simple. The cycle just repeats itself. Julia says, Michelle, you are right. From the age of 13, I was brought up by my nan, who was overweight her whole life. I went from being a slim child to an overweight, bullied teenager. She scuppered every healthy eating idea I ever had. And I really, truly wish the authorities had intervened. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Right, you've been sending in your thoughts, I have to say, lots and lots of you, many of you saying, if you listen uh, to teachers and their assistants, lots of this sentiment coming up, it's all about children uh, starting school young, they're saying, that according to the teachers, his attorney, uh, if you listen to the teachers, they'll say it's the parents are just doing, they're just being lazy, apparently, when it comes to getting their kids ready to start with school. Do you agree with that, or is that a little bit too harsh? Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubery. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, a reminder as to who my panel is. We've got Jacqueline Foster, who's the former MEP, columnist at the Mail on Sunday, Peter Hitchens, and anthropologist Marianne O'Hotta. Joining us at 7 o'clock will be Nigel Farage. Nigel, good evening for you. What have you got coming up? 
Michelle, good evening. It's an ECHR special because I predicted that flight would not go to Rwanda and sure enough, late last night, some obscure judge whose name they haven't released in Strasbourg uh, allows the human rights industry to stop the plane from going. I'll be joined by Tom Persglove, the Minister for Illegal Immigration. I'll ask him, does this government actually have the courage to leave the ECHR and set this country free from European courts? Nigel, look forward to that. We'll see you at seven o'clock. Lots of you still writing in about that last topic there about childhood obesity. The sentiment coming through thick and fast as well is that you don't want to live in a nanny state. Uh, you want parents to be parents. Someone's just written in saying, and I've lost your name now, I must admit, you're complaining. Oh, there you go, Karen, I found you. You're saying about the government has taxed Pepsi more to try and make kids lose weight. You're not happy, you'll say, because you love Pepsi. And all that's happened is the kids still drink it and it just costs you a small fortune. She says she wants the government to butt out. In fact, she says, parents, you lot, need to sort your heads out. Adrian says, Michelle, I've been a type 2 diabetic for some years now and the worst time was the lockdown. Then it was work from home every day and all I did was binge eat uh, at nights with comfort food. Uh, he says it's really difficult, but you can turn it around if you do it all early enough. Eat the right things and exercise. He says, ultimately, though, it is down to the individual and it is very hard indeed. Best wishes with your uh, battle against that, Adrian. Now, e-scooters, let's move on, shall we? What do you think to them? Do you have one? Do you like them? Or do you think they're an absolute menace? Um, I've got one. I like it. Just uh, to make sure that I don't get arrested while I'm live on air or anything, I obviously use it within the confines of the law. Uh, but what do we think to this? Do you like them, Peter? I'm going to start with you. No, I think they should remain banned. People say, should they be banned? They are banned. Uh, and they should remain banned. Uh, they, they are they're powerful motor vehicles. Uh, if it's very easy to get rid of the speed governors that have fitted to them, and, and you can do 40 miles an hour on them. And there are existing models which can do 70. Uh, they are the ideal tool for the mugger, uh, for the drug dealer, uh, and for the totally selfish person who wants to ride fast along the pavement, uh, knocking people down. I, we've had a, a, a tragic death associated with them. Now, we've had many injuries, including injuries to small children already, uh, even while they've been semi-legal in some areas, thanks to Grant Shapps' ridiculous scheme where they, you're allowed to use them if you rent them uh, from specified schemes, but not allowed to use them if you buy them privately. But I see them all the time, and they, the numbers of them intensify. Uh, you can't hear them. Uh, they, they are, they're dangerous to their own riders because they're so fantastically unstable with the small wheels. You hit a pothole. Uh, you'll go flying. Uh, they're notorious, particularly, and I would warn you of this if you're, if you're using them, for grave liver injuries because the height of the handlebars will get you in the liver if you have an accident on them. Uh, and if they become uh, fully legal, as Grant Shapps intends, people will be amazed at how many of them there are. This is all known. Paris had a so-called experiment with, uh, with e-scooters two or three years ago. People were injured, included very tragically, uh, an extremely talented concert pianist who, whose arm was smashed as a result of these things careering along the pavement. Once they are legal, you will never be safe on the pavements or on a footpath again for the rest of your life, nor will your children, nor will your elderly relatives, nor especially will blind and deaf people be. It is the most stupid decision, and I am amazed that Grant Chaps has taken it. And I, I, I tried as hard as I could uh, to get some sort of uh, campaign going against it. And everybody says, why are you bothered about this stupid, trivial, minor thing? Well, to which I reply, you wait. 
till they're everywhere and tell me it's stupid, trivial and minor. Mm. I've got to be honest, you've not put me off mine though, Peter. I listened intently, but I'm still... Well, what, is it, what is it that's good about them? Convenience, speed, what, 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 get me from A at, to B at, at in an effective... Of, at the expense of other people. But no, because I drive it as a responsible individual. I don't go around, I don't pay pinball with pedestrians trying to no, score if, points if you're as on I the road, go. You're not safe. You're, 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 in, you're, you're, you're taking a very grave risk with yourself, and you, you, you're then quite likely to end up in an ambulance and in any and in a hospital. Uh, well, if I do, if I, if I fall off my e-scooter... They're dangerous to ride, as well as for, the, for, their, for their riders, as well as they are dangerous to pedestrians. Jacqueline, are you a fan? Do you think it should be outlawed? Well, it's, they're not just a nightmare on the pavements, as, as Peter has said. They're an absolute nightmare when they're on the roads mm. because um, I actually drive. OK, you may not see them in the countryside, but if you're around the cities, you know, if it's not bad enough with the cyclists jumping the lights every five minutes or five seconds, which they do frequently, certainly in London and, and other cities, the e-scooters are doing the same. You also can barely see them because a lot of people have them, they seem to be all painted black. They don't seem to have a light on them at all. They do have a light and, on. Uh, well, the people, the ones, a lot of them I've seen haven't got a light on, Tiny unfortunately. And, um, and they can do, as quite rightly has been said, you know, they may have limiters on them, but people are actually uh, overriding the limiters, I'm quite sure. And, um, yeah, they de-restrict. So... Some people would de-restrict them, but then people de-restrict mopeds, for example. But I've, I've just conscious of the time. Marianne, your thoughts very briefly. Well, I think um, basically the cat is out of the bag. Unless we ban everything completely, including the higher scooters, then the ones that you can rent, then um, what Grant Shapps needs to do is instead of months or perhaps years later going, oh, yeah, we should probably legislate for that. So everyone knows we're on the same page. You know what is legal and what isn't legal. So you, Michelle, would know what you are actually allowed to do, where you should be riding your bike. Maybe Definitely. the enforcement should be that you have to, for example, like with the rental um, scooters, you're supposed to have a, a provisional licence. Yeah. Um, you should have lights on your scooter. You should be wearing a helmet. There should be a, a maximum speed limit. You should know whether you're on the pavement or the road. Make sure they're registered. The, well, in the same the, way that the, we enforce... The, the police who, 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 who haven't been seen for years, who've been abducted <laughs> well, by aliens, are, are they going to enforce it? Nobody's going to enforce it. You'll be on your own on the pavement when they come. We've, I've had it. In, in, on Kensington High Street a couple of weeks ago, four of them uh, with huge, great, hulking 20-somethings riding them fast in a phalanx down the pavement, everybody jumping to one side to save themselves. That's well, what's going to be happening. It's the day you go. It's not always Peter, just the tool, it's how you use it. There you go. It's not the tool, it's how you use it. I've heard that so said a lot. So they're terrible for exercise. Said. Uh, exercise away from people. And that's right. Not to use well, Jamie says, I love Peter Hitchens. Will he go for dinner with me? I'll let, you, I'll let uh, Peter ponder that. Uh, <laughs> we're just about after the show. Stephen says, Michelle, if you fall off your scooter, I'll kiss every scratch better. Uh, Bit weird, but thank you. <laughs> uh, right, that's pretty much all we have now got time for. I shall leave with that image in my mind. Uh, Mark says, e-scooters are for idiots. There you go. I shall end on that note. That's me, Tom. For a lot of idiots. Right, thank you very much to my panel and thank you at home for your company tonight. Have a great night and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>